The Lord be the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapets of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourselves down, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to them, All these I shall give to you, if you you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not quite a... We're in our first week of Lent, and how's it going? Hopefully uh, not too many of us have already broken our Lenten practices, but, uh, or, or hopefully we already have them and we're, we're going good, but it's always good to check in and just to say, we have a lot of Lent left. It's okay. Uh, let's, let's, uh, it's not too late to make a Lenten practice. It's not too late to, to try again, to try different strategies, to be accountable to talk to, and so um, we're starting Lent. It's not the end of Lent. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a good opportunity to always start, and so let us start here today. We hear of another start today in the first reading, which, is, uh, which we hear from Genesis, which is this, the story of uh, creation. Um, there's two creation stories. This is the second one, and so God breathes life into into man, into Adam and Eve. And he gives them so many good things. And he says, hey, you get this whole garden. You get paradise. And I just want you to be here with me. I want to be here with you. But just don't eat from uh, that one tree. Okay? Everything else you can have. But uh, the reality is, is that, uh, is that we lose it right away. Um, because, uh, because of a cunning creature, a serpent, but not really a serpent. This is uh, Satan or the devil. And sometimes we, uh, Satan doesn't want to be known. He doesn't want to be uh, kind of reveal himself. And so he appears in different things. In fact, St. Paul uh, in Scripture says that Satan can even appear as an angel of light. Okay. Because I think if we all saw a talking serpent, we'd kind of be like, you know, red flags would be going up and be like, hey, this isn't maybe the best 
you know, the best person to talk to, okay? Um, but Satan doesn't often present himself in that way. He presents himself, he is the most cunning of all animals. He is more cunning than we are. He can outsmart us. Certainly so. But he is not more powerful than God. Okay? It's not an even fight between him and God. God has created uh, Satan as, as initially Lucifer, an angel of light. An angel of light. Lucifer actually means light bearer. But he rebelled against God for different reasons and fell. And, and part of his rebellion was about his distaste for human beings and how much goodness God gave us. And so uh, we see right away at the beginning that Satan is seeking our downfall. And how does he do it? Well, he doesn't do it by all out kind of uh, trying to get us to do anything crazy. What he, what he tries to do is he tries to get us to distrust, to distrust God. Hear this line. He says, he just asked a simple question. You know, uh, did God really tell you not to eat from, did, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees of the garden? Why would he do that? He asks questions sometimes to us to bring about uh, his end, which is ultimately distrust of God and ultimately our fall. And then when Eve responds, you know, oh yeah, no, he, he told us we could eat any of the trees except for just that once. And he says, Oh, uh, you know, really? You know, why? why? Well, he said, if you, you shall not eat from it or even touch it, lest you die. And Satan, well, you'll certainly not die. And then he seeds this distrust. He says, no, God knows well that the moment you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know what is good and what is evil. In a certain part, Satan often doesn't tell us straight out lies. He twists the lie. He twists truth. And that is the most convincing of all lies. Lies from out, outer, you know, like, of course that's a lie. Like, that's totally made up. That doesn't make any sense. But lies that are half-truths, that are truths that are twisted, that are part true, and then just given enough to turn it, which is exactly what he does there. You'll certainly not die. Well, in one sense, he's true. You will be like gods. Yes, absolutely. But not in a way that is helpful for us as humans. So one of the aspects of this tree of good versus good and evil, the knowledge of tree of good and evil is there's different types of knowledge. There's knowledge of knowing what is good and evil, like in the sense of, oh, I know that's bad. I know that's good. That's one type of knowledge. Another type of knowledge is creative. And this is the knowledge of God. The knowledge when he knows and he thinks of something, it creates it and it makes it so. And so there's the other type of knowledge that this tree is kind of causing, which is I can say that is good and that is bad. I say it. There's a difference between acknowledging something is bad or good and whether I say something is good and bad. God is the only one who has the power, the knowledge, and the authority to be able to identify what is good and evil. Human beings don't have that. We receive that from God. However, just like happened in Adam and Eve, we often stretch our hand out and try to make it our own. We try to say, well, God told me that that tree is bad. You know, like it's not going to have good consequences for me. But, you know, maybe not. Maybe it's really good for me. And God is 
God is scared of what it might do if I, if I take possession of it. No, no, God's rules for us aren't about trying to keep us in place or trying to limit our humanity. God's rules are always for our good. He desires our good. And the only reason why we doubt that is because we have uh, Satan, who often is whispering in our ear, saying, did God really say that? Does he really desire your good? And I just want to affirm right now that God does, okay? God wants good. He made you. He wants good things for you. He requires us and asks us to do things, not because he wants to be in control, but because he's God and he wants good things for us. And one of the things that we also need to trust is his bride, the church. The church as well is given to us not to try to limit us, but try to give us and teach us to be able to help us to flourish. I mean, two examples. One is that God says, keep holy the Sabbath. Keep holy the Sabbath isn't for his sake, it's for us. In fact, our worship doesn't add anything to God's greatness, but it profits us for salvation. Okay? So God tells us to keep holy the Sabbath for our good. But a lot of times we're like, oh, do we really need to? Does God really care that much? No, uh, God cares because we need it. Okay? We need a day which is different than other days to remind us of who God is and who we are. We need to make Sunday different. Okay? Now the church, working in union as the bride of Christ, tells us that we are obligated to attend Mass on the Sabbath. On Sunday. And that, that uh, law is there, again, not to take up your Sunday morning so that you have to listen to Father Samuel talk about something or, or to keep you from the cherry blossoms or, or to prevent you from being able to go out and play sports. Uh, the thing is, is because we need it. We need to be, again, reminded of who God is. Hear the word of God to give ourselves antidote, to give us weapons against Satan. Just as God, as, as we see Jesus use in the gospel today, where every single time where Satan tells a lie and tries to twist the truth, God, Jesus responds with scripture. He responds with who God is, who he knows he is. Now, Satan even uses a little bit of scripture to try to twist it. And that's why we need to not just use scripture at face value, but, but really, again, we trust something beyond just our knowledge of scripture or, or other things, but we trust something more. And so during this uh, Lenten season, it's another time uh, to go a little bit deeper to trust God, to trust God that he desires our good and that we ultimately want to follow Jesus Christ and not Adam. Adam is where we got original sin. Uh, Christ is where we have redemption. And where does he change it? Well, Adam distrusts God and chooses disobedience. Chooses to try to make himself like God by choosing what is good and evil himself. Jesus Christ, even though that he was in the person of God, humbles himself doesn't try to remain and grasp on to be like God, but instead humbles himself and becomes human. And instead of being disobedient, is completely obedient to God the Father 
even to the cross. And that's who we want to follow. Because Adam's eyes are opened, but they're not opened in a way that brings about good. His eyes are open, but unfortunately, he loses innocence. And then he actually has to do a lot more work. He has to, you know, then you got to start sewing clothes and everything else. And he has to, he has to start working and laboring in the field. There's, there's bad things that come into the world because his eyes are open. We, that, that bad is, is certainly there. We live in a fallen world. Jesus Christ also had his eyes open. But he had his eyes open looking always to God the Father. And that he understood that his life wasn't about grasping, wasn't about control, and that he knew that Satan didn't have anything to offer. The world didn't have anything to offer. But he was, continues to remind us of who we're made for. We're made for love. We're made for something beyond this world. We're not made to just cling on to our life and try to make it, but we're ultimately made for eternity. We're made for heaven. We're made to be with God the Father in paradise forever. That's what we're made for. And so there are certain times when on earth we certainly feel as though we're not, maybe we don't feel like we're where we're supposed to be or, or we don't exactly fit in or we don't have peace. Well, yeah, that's because this isn't where we're supposed to be. We're not doing what we should be. Even though that the cross is a place of great pain and Jesus Christ experienced the greatest pain in the world, we have examples where actually a lot of the times where the greatest pain that we have is not the pain itself, but actually where we try to avoid pain and we turn to sin. It's often where Satan gets us is where he says, well, you don't want to do that. That's painful. That's hard. Well, Jesus doesn't teach us the easy road. He teaches us a hard road. And actually that is the path to true peace. True happiness is to ultimately lay down our life in love, to lay down our life to Jesus Christ. Now, again, it's counterintuitive, and the world and Satan often tries to convince us otherwise. And says, well, you don't need to worry, you know, like, you don't have to try that hard. Yes, you do. That, that's the example that we give, we get. Christianity is difficult, because ultimately we are stripping ourselves of original sin. We're stripping ourselves of that tendency towards sin. We're stripping ourselves of our constant want and desire to be like God. We're not God. Uh, We need to humble ourselves, and that's one of the greatest gifts of Lent. And so let us, during this Lenten season, humble ourselves, be obedient to him, uh, and cast aside the lies of Satan, which promise so much, but yet reward so little. Instead, let us trust God during this Lenten season. Let us walk that path in the desert with Jesus Christ, a path with the Israelites who had to spend 40 years in the desert to rid themselves of, of the sin and the attachment of Egypt. And let us uh, come uh, to the promised land and come to know who God is, who we are, and who we are ultimately meant to be. Uh, that's hopefully every single time that we come to Mass, we get a moment to do that. We come to a moment to unite ourselves to one another, to hear Scripture, and ultimately the greatest gift that we receive here, which is always the Eucharist the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, this amazing gift that was only able to give it, given to us because of Jesus' great love, his sacrifice, because he chose obedience. And so we receive this gift of being able to be united to Jesus Christ now, and we pray that that perseverance and that grace might help us to be united with him for eternity.